This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go, business storytellers. How's everyone doing today? We want to talk about how can you be more comfortable telling your story. This is a topic I cannot relate to one bit because you can't get me to shut up ever. I will tell you what I have to say. If you like it, awesome. I will say you're in my target audience. If you don't like it, I will tell you, you're not in my target audience. The end. So today we are live on all the different channels once again, including Amazon Live. Uh, and the reason is because today's guest just published her latest book, The Confident Body. I mean, Taylor, that came out um, earlier this week on the live stream. Of course, the podcast episode does publish a little bit later, but check that out. The link should be in the show notes. So why in the world do you guys all struggle telling your story? Why? Some of you don't on Twitter. I mean, you guys can't stop talking, but some of you, it's so difficult. So why is that? So let's talk to um, the latest author, the latest guest on the business storytelling show. Mina Taylor, welcome. Hey, Christoph. Yes. <laughs> so how are you? I've had like an excellent morning. I have to be honest with you. I went for a run. I had a meeting with my team. I got centered and now I'm super jazzed to engage in this conversation with you. And the new book is out, available on Amazon. And of course, that's always an exciting uh, milestone, certainly. Uh, so t- so tell me, why is it so difficult for people to tell their stories and, and how do they get how do they get around that? Well, when I focus on telling stories where my work is, is really in the verbal telling and the vocal telling. Mm -hmm. So writing stories is different than speaking stories. And why it's really challenging for people to tell their stories because we are deeply attached to the words we're using. And we are so focused on saying the right thing that we forget about how we're saying it or the intention or need drive or point behind what it is that we're saying. And so we get locked in this notion of, did I say it right? Are they understanding it? And we forget about the vocal component. And what happens is, is then we are purely speaking from a logical perspective from the head. So it's words, 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 as opposed to from the heart, which is feel, feel, feel. And that's where we connect not only to our own message and purpose, but also how we connect to others in order to get them enrolled and influenced by our purpose and message. And so it's a vulnerable thing. When we move thought to thing, it's vulnerable. We can't take it back. Once we say it out loud, there's no erase or delete button (laughs) once it escapes our mouth. And so when people struggle to tell their story, they're not trusting that their intuition will guide them throughout that storytelling process. And it sounds scary because we want it to be perfect. We want it to be polished. We want it to feel um, like we had a lot of control or, or command over what it is that we were saying. And I always promote to people, trust your impulse 
trust your intuition allow that to be the driver the words that result from that process may not be perfect but they will be more deeply aligned to your authenticity and uh by the way, no one pays to see perfect. So when we think about storytelling, um, the whole purpose is to create an emotional response on behalf of your audience, right? It's to connect to them, to connect to the humanity. And when people struggle to tell stories, they are missing that necessary component. It's not only an important component, it is a necessary component. And they're focused far too much on verbal. And by the way, verbal is only 7% of the information that people receive when we tell stories. 93% is everything else. So storytelling is about voice. It's about lyricality. It's really about playing the music of your thoughts um, without focusing on the words behind the thoughts. Um, of course, you want to put some preparation in, but give yourself permission to play. It's always interesting, um, you know, when, when we think about body language and how do we deliver the story and attention spans, of course, is another thing. I mean, I know people don't have any attention spans. So every whatever, seven seconds or nine seconds or whatever crazy number it is, um, you have to do something to, to pull them back in, right? So that's difficult. But what's interesting to me is you said you can't take your words back. And I'm, I'm thinking... I don't know if I dis if I agree with that 100%. You can't take them back. So I think technically speaking, that is correct. Once you said them, you said them. But you can certainly um, explain or elaborate or because the problem I found is like I'm very much if I say green, I mean green. I don't mean blue. But if, you know, if I say green and somebody else thinks it's a shade of green and there is way more shades of green today than we honestly need no offense to my interior design friends but you know for real um so how do you i mean you can explain yourself right or you can how important is that to just kind of have that attitude hey i mean i said that incorrectly i think it's not green i think that's blue you know or whatever so there are two different parts of this process. So there's the moment when you decide to speak, and that's the vulnerability. That's the I can't take it back. I now need to commit fully and oh man, that's a vulnerable, scary process to saying the thing, even if it's the wrong thing. And this is where play is a primary component here because play gives us the opportunity to engage in that process with agility, adaptability, openness to risk and flaw and failure. That's what play is fundamentally. Play is not unserious. Let's be very clear about that. So the fear of you can't take it back, that's the fear. So it's crossing the threshold to actually get it out of the mouth. Uh, and of course you can explain. And I think giving ourselves permission to know that that is also a component of storytelling, going deeper, yes, anding, creative thinking, collaboration, that can be a part of your business storytelling. So you say green, someone thinks you say a different green. Amazing. Now you can have this beautiful conversation about what is green? What does green mean? And I guarantee you that will be more memorable than if you had said the right thing, made your way all the way through it, and then come to a completion and didn't give them that opportunity to engage or yourself the opportunity to have that moment of disruption, which really promotes 
aliveness, immediacy, and living on the precipice of that unexpected uh, sense and way of being, which is really what people respond to. They want to see you. They want to be there with you. They want to watch the unfolding in real time. And if we're so attached to what's coming out because we're afraid of saying the wrong thing, that's where now we lose a tremendous opportunity to connect and influence. Yeah, I'm not typically too afraid of saying the wrong thing. I usually find a way to couch everything up pretty well, I guess, uh, as a former journalist or still a journalist. Now, tell me, how um, when you talk about verbal communication, I mean, how is it different from what, what you and I are doing to you and I are actually sitting at a coffee shop table face to face? And you know what? This is probably how I see most people nowadays. Um, at the tail end of the pandemic or not, you know, I'm still in my studio here. You're um, where I don't even know. I don't. Where are you located? Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> awesome. Um, go New York Rangers. Ooh, um, yay. They lost the the other is, day. Three, three time overtime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I stayed up for it. This is not a sports show. But um, definitely rooting for the New York Rangers here. So but how are those different communication styles different, whether it's digital or in person or, you know, voice only or, or whatever it might be? Yeah. So let's let's first go. Well, let's start with voice only. I think that's an interesting one. So we'll go voice only virtual and then in person. So voice only. What's interesting about it is. There, there are two primary components that you need to focus on. Brightness of tone. And that also means variety of tone, as well as articulation. So those things need to be heightened. This is old news. This is not, I did not come up with this, right? It's everyone says, you know, uh, smile on the phone. Why we smile on the phone is because it accomplishes engaging that brightness of tone. You cannot engage brightness of tone if these muscles are not engaged. So you have to add that little extra bit of activation. And then the articulation piece is fundamental. Here's what it's going to allow you to do. Be precise and intentional in what is escaping the mouth and how it is escaping the mouth. So when you're on the phone, you will not mince your words. You will say things with absolute clarity. And because they don't have that visual to hold their attention, the vocal variety will hold their attention. Because again, it's all about holding them in that moment of unfolding, the immediacy of the unfolding. If you're kind of talking like this and they can now kind of tune out because they've expected how your voice is going to sound, they're not going to be primed to continue to pay attention. So you have to keep that voice active and playful. And the articulation is a prime component of that. We really underestimate the power of articulation. I call it executive speech. We've got to get there. How that then shifts into virtual. So simply on voice, got no visual whatsoever. In virtual, we do have the visual, but what we don't have is a lot of the body language behind it. So you see, I'm using my hands. Uh, I intentionally bring them into screen because it is a necessary piece of information communication that you need as a listener in order to receive my message as fully as possible. The other thing you need to realize is you're not getting my energy. So I need to give you 
my energy, right? You can't intuit it because you're not present with me. So I have to deliberately transfer it to you. And that means speaking through the screen, not just to the screen. Think about it as uh, sitting next to somebody, the voice or energy you might use versus trying to get somebody's attention across the room. So we're in the across the room space. This is distinctly a box of entertainment. So when I see people in meetings, when I see people in presentations, and they're really casual, just like it, they're not rising to the occasion, they're not increasing their presence or activation. It may be effective in its narrative, but it's going to be ineffective in its communication. So how can we bring it to life? How can we really hold focus, which is the biggest challenge in virtual distraction, distraction, distraction. Hey, pay attention to me. I'm right here. Look sharp. <laughs> and then when we move into the in-person, you get all the beautiful information. You get body language, you sense breath, you sense posture and proximity to one another. So it's really going to be this opportunity to actually come uh, with a bit more ease in vocal presence. We still want that vocal variety, but we don't need the presence again, because they're right here. We don't want to scream at them. Uh, and so we can activate our listening so much more deeply in person than we really have the opportunity to do virtually. So that is going to be a primary piece in person that will be something really exciting to reclaim so it doesn't feel like we're always having to interact or contribute or engage. In person really gives you that opportunity to allow for that intuitive flow of conversation to happen a bit more organically. And I also remember when I first um, I did a Skype presentation. This is many years ago when that wasn't really an expected thing, I guess. But I couldn't see anybody in the class, right, at all. Um, and even when you're talking now, you know, I'm off screen. And every once in a while, you hear me give you a verbal, oh, or, you know, something like that. Or, mm -hmm, yep, you know. But it's I try to keep that to a minimum because I know for the listener, that's not necessarily the best experience. Um, so it's like you're talking but you don't get any feedback. You don't see any reactions, nothing at all. So that's very, very different from, um, from offline, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I love that distinction, right? And that's a, that's a very unique use case when you don't see anybody. Yeah. How are you getting the feedback? And the big question I always get around this is, how do I know I'm doing a good job? And the key there, and this is like super, super vital, <coughs> is if you are connected to your message, if you are committed to being heard, your sole job as the speaker is to make the audience pay attention, <laughs> to speak to be heard. If you're not speaking to be heard, put it in an email. So if you're speaking to be heard, if you are standing behind what it is that you're saying, and you're not getting that visual feedback, it's on you to really make sure that you're in alignment to what it is you're seeking to achieve. Anything beyond that is outside of your control. So do what's within your control, which is voice, body, breath, presence, and expression. And that's going to be the real clear differentiator. So when you say it's your job to do that, though, and I'm, I'm thinking I got these uh, flashbacks, so to speak, of, I mean, let's, I'm going to take this from the phone to maybe a zoom call i'm not sure if i can remember any really terrible zoom calls to real life but you know sometimes when you talk to ceos some ceos and you know they have you or they used to have you on speakerphone um and it's horrible 
to hear them, right? But they're comfortable because they're sitting back in their comfy chair and they're in charge. You can't see them being in charge, so it's totally stupid. But to them, it certainly feels like they're comfortable, um, you know, and, and but you can't hear them. So they can't get their message across because the quality already sucks. That's something Almost. I see in leadership, Christoph. Right yeah. now, I see it all the time. We cannot take for granted that people are paying attention anymore. And that doesn't mean we have to try super hard. P.S. That doesn't mean that we now have to step into some extroverted, expressive, a big, bold presentation. We just cannot expect. We, we, you know, that is the thing. When we assume people are paying attention, we lose opportunity to connect with them intentionally. Now it becomes somewhat passive rather than active. And I, yeah, with executives, um, do not take your position for granted. Do not take your status for granted. It is still your responsibility to be the leader. And in order to do that, you have to engage your community intentionally. And how do you engage people, though? So let's say, I mean, I remember back in the days when I would go to a meeting, um, and especially I think sales leaders sometimes do this pretty well, but there was a specific sales uh, VP, and he would make it kind of a show. I mean, there's always something funny happening or something going on, and he really kind of gets you to open up. And it's, you, you know, sometimes now how people make you do jumping jacks in meetings and nobody wants to do it. And it's not like that, right? He doesn't make you do something. So I think that's where, you tell me what your opinion is on this, but I think there's a difference between presenters who make you do something and you like, I don't want to do jumping jacks because I did a chest day yesterday and I can't barely move my arms or who cares what the reason is. I don't have to justify my reasoning to you. Um, but then you have people who draw you in and whatever they're doing is, it's them doing something and you're just taking it in and it's affecting you to react a certain way. Am I making that up or how do you feel about that? I, I think you're spot on there. And I, I want to distinguish two things, which is just because you're the only one speaking does not mean it's not still a dialogue. I call it an energetic dialogue. So when you're out, you also need to hold space to receive, right? And even if you can't see them, um, but being in that space of like, I I know that I'm the one speaking and I do not take for granted that I am using your time, your energy, and your attention. So I'm going to make the most of that for me so that I can make it meaningful for you. So that's a that's a mindset piece there in terms of how we're coming in. It's not me out, right? It's us together. I just happen to be holding status and focus. The other piece of that is authenticity. So holding attention, and I love this idea of like, I, yeah, even as someone that uses the acting and improv in all of my workshops, when I go somewhere and someone asks me to do something, I'm always like, oh, God. Um, so I totally receive that experience uh, and am familiar with it. But when we're holding space, like for me, I might get people to, uh, you know, get up and just kind of not get them to do it, but get them to watch me sort of come alive and greet them. Someone else might come in with stillness. So it's about understanding how do you show up authentically? Just show up fully in that space with a desire to connect, not a desire to be liked, not a desire to get it all out, not a desire to get it over with. 
It's a desire to connect. However that shows up for you, whether it's in play, distinct play, whether it's through expression, whether it's through doing something silly, whether it's in stillness, it's about what is going to be authentic to you and then do it fully. If you do not commit, it will feel silly and it will feel boring. So really commit to whatever you decide is going to be your course of action. I also, you know, sometimes think of it like this when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm at a conference or whatever, in a meeting even, you know, and there's all these distractions that you can pay attention to, right? I can check my email or, oh, you know, what happened over here? How many people are watching on Amazon Live? You know, what's what's new on Amazon? You know, I haven't gotten a package in, you know, four hours. So how... I mean, is that a good way to think of it maybe for for presenters of any level or not just presenters, but even if you're talking in a group or you're, you know, you see people tune you out or or people um, sometimes I think it's, you know, silence is not agreement. So if you say something and you think it's like the best thing since sliced bread and everybody, let's say you're in a small group, just sits there and goes. Like, that's not the reaction you were looking for. Right. So how do you kind of. Uh, how do you get there? Give us a couple of tips on how, how do we share um, our story, our content in a way that actually engages people, that actually draws them in? Yeah, it's all about the voice and the breath and the body. And I love that example, right? You you make a decision. And this is why, again, it's an energetic dialogue. It's not just you out Because if you're tuned to that, if you're even noticing, right, we can look at it as just noticing as an aspect of active listening in that dialogue. If you notice that they're checking out, uh, it's if you're committed to doing it the way you planned, then A, you didn't prepare appropriately with the mindset of adaptability and agility to meet your audience where they are, not where you want them to be, right? Um, But if you're noticing that they're checking out, then you have to invite a new uh, vocal presence and a new energetic presence to re-engage them and again, meet them where they are. So if you're like killing it and then everyone's like, no, then it's about how do I how do I adapt? How do I pivot? How do I shift my tone? How do I acknowledge what's happening and make it about us coming together, not about just me doing the work that I had planned? That's really it. It's leaving yourself open to shifting, to doing something that was unplanned. That is going to be the key driver. And this is why I always tell people, don't script what you're going to say. Keep it consistent. Do not keep it scripted because when things go differently than you had anticipated, if you're scripted, it's going to be real hard to adapt. If you're consistent, adaptation will be your shining star. Well, that's why that's why I'm not a big fan of PowerPoints, because, you know, the people that have said to me in my life when because I like to engage. Right. And sometimes certainly sometimes it's not the time to ask a question, but I like to participate. So you ask a question. I'm not the only one who's ever done this in in, in, in my experience. You ask a question. The person says, that's in two slides. You know, don't ask me that question. They don't say it like that. But that's how it feels. Right. Um, it's in two slides. Um, and by the way, if you're going to script your power, your podcast or you script your presentation or anything like that, don't waste my time. Send me the transcript and I'll I'll skim it later. I'll read it later. There's no reason for you to read it to me. And I have actually been on press trips where executive teams read 
hundreds of pages. And I'm like, can you just send this to me? Like, I don't need to be taking notes. If you already have the notes, and why am I listening to you? That is, wow, that's an intense example. I don't ever want to sit there a hundred pages of somebody reading. Hundreds, oh my goodness. Not hundreds, hundreds. Like, that is like so crazy. Hours. Yeah, no, no thanks. Yeah, I think what this all comes down to is when we're speaking, when when we're you know presenting, giving a keynote, even leading a meeting, or even just having a one-on-one challenging conversation or meaningful conversation, we need to have our mindset really be around, again, coming back to the notion of play, which is aliveness and unpredictability. Those are primary components in human behavior, because guess what will never happen in human behavior? Perfection. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. We are inherently flawed, beautifully, gloriously flawed. We are subject to the laws of gravity and balance. Like we, so much can go awry. And that's the space that is compelling, unpredictability and aliveness. Now it takes risk to get there, but that's what people are going to be responsive to. As Seth Godin said when he was on the show, he said, people use perfectionism as an excuse not to ship. So knock it off and ship. Nothing is ever perfect to begin with. Um, in the last minute here or so, I mean, tell us, uh, I mean, certainly people can get your book. Uh, how else can people work with you? What kind of services do you offer um, and, and how do they find you? Yeah, absolutely. My company, Energize Your Voice, we do corporate trainings around public speaking and storytelling and confidence. Uh, so go check us out there. You can also work with me privately. I have always a very select number of private spots available. And I have a group coaching course called the Confident Body Course, where we explore presence, play, purpose, and authenticity. Uh, and then just follow me on Instagram, holy buckets, Minna Taylor underscore. EYV. I give tips and tricks and you'll get lots of little gems so you can really catapult your confidence journey in a really powerful way. It's always interesting how people pick their social networks. How, why Instagram? Why is that your number one? Not a fan of Facebook. Uh, Just found that it wasn't sort of the primary driver. I love LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn allows for a different kind of storytelling, but it is, I really hold it as a a business page. Where I find on Instagram opportunity is to play, to get creative, to try things out. It feels lower stakes, but also high reward. And the community there is awesome. The way people engage, the way that they get excited. um, It's a really special place to be. Fantastic. And if you're watching this live or the replay, The Confident Body, currently number 18 on the new release list, 99 cents. So check that out if um, if you want to and if you want to learn more. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate you sharing your insights. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me, Christoph. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.